I have children for you, and I've known them before the foundation of the world. You don't know who you're going to dance with, but you know you're going to dance. God just doesn't want to be with me in all the good moments. He wants to be there when I'm in my car, after work, crying. God has woven a tapestry in us and has taught us so much in these past years. This is West Side Stories. Today on West Side Stories, Atlanta Westside Senior Pastor Walter Henniger and Director of Spiritual Formation Ann Henniger are joined by Westside member Katie Alter to discuss growing up adopted and learning how to grapple with and express feelings that are incredibly complex. Katie is one of the most clear, articulate, and self-introspective communicators I have ever met, and this episode was a true joy to work on. Let's hear from Katie. Well, I'm Walter Henniger, and I'm here with my lovely wife, Anne Henniger. And we are here with our friend Katie Alter, fellow Westside member. How's it going? We are excited to talk to you about parts of your life. And uh, maybe it would be great to just start uh, where'd you grow up? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Clemson, South Carolina, the town, which is common misconception. There's an actual town. And I went to Clemson University. So Ended up in Atlanta about five years ago after the law firm I work for transferred me here. So tell us about your your parents, um, the family that raised you. I grew up with a great mom and dad, and they're a lot of fun. They're kind of annoyingly still in love. They have great social <laughs> lives in which I'll go home, and they're like, yeah, we have plans. So I grew up in uh, Clemson Press. So Tim Lame was one of the pastors I grew up with. It's been very cool to grow up, I think, in a family that has understood grace from a very early age. And so that was tied a lot into upbringing. So the first time I met you, Katie, was at our house. We had a movie mm-hmm. night one summer and I remember sitting right in our kitchen. And as I was talking to you, you just very effortlessly went into a conversation about being adopted. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I have known about being adopted since I was a kid. My parents were pretty firm on the fact that they didn't want me ever to grow up feeling ashamed that being adopted was a joy and a privilege and that they were very proud of it and it was something to be celebrated and not um, deemed to make me feel different. My mom would say all of her children were conceived in prayer. There was nothing she could have done to bring about any of us. And so mm. growing up with a mom, I think, who who knew that, then she really pushed all of us to be advocates for that philosophy. My parents were like, this is a privilege. You're going to run into people who are going to say a lot of things or have a lot of questions or ask very ignorant questions, but you are an ambassador for adoption. You have a sneak peek preview to what it means so you can give them the truth and you have the truth. So don't be afraid. So I think from the time I was little, I could tell you my name is Katie Alter. I was adopted when I was two days old. My birth mom was adopted from Korea. So I'm a second generation. I knew my birth father was an exchange student from Israel. And like, it was very factual and very seamless, like the back of my hand. As much as I would tell you, I was born in this hospital at this time, I knew where my conception story began. So I think because it's always been there, then it's always just been a part of who I am. Did your parents uh, also tell you that like their particular story of how they came to adopt you? 
My grandmother, my dad's mom, had a friend that was adopted, which given the times of like the 40s is kind of weird that she knew that. But um, my grandma thought it was the coolest thing ever and went home and like begged her parents to tell her that she was also adopted, which like <laughs> I don't think went over very well and like wouldn't speak to them because they were like, no, you're, you're not adopted. Um, and really wanted to adopt and had just never got the opportunity. And my um, grandfather, I think at the time, was not a believer and that wasn't really on his heart. And so she talked about it a lot and had this great interest. And so that really led my parents to being interested. I actually don't know how my mom kind of got it laid on her heart except for being inspired by the gospel and our spiritual adoption. But for my dad, all of his siblings, they've all adopted in one way or another, whether it's domestic or international. So it obviously started with my grandma and this woman we don't know who told her she was adopted. So both of my siblings are biological. Um, my sister was four when I was born. Um, and part of the reason my birth mom chose her, our family, was because of my sister. So in the 90s, they opened it back up to or had just opened it to where if you already had a child, you could then do domestic adoption, where previously if you you basically had to prove like you couldn't have children. And so my parents had also struggled with infertility and then um, got pregnant with my sister and then uh continued to struggle with infertility. It became apparent they couldn't have more kids. And so they could enter the adoption process. And so my birth mom picked them because um, they have my sister and because they wanted to name their daughter Katie after my Asian aunt Katie because I was half Asian. That was on her heart. After my parents adopted me, miracles of all miracles, my parents got pregnant with my brother. And so we are very close in age, um, and I'm very thankful for him because my sister is, when you're four years older, you kind of have a leg up in the world, and so she always seemingly seemed perfect because she had four years of discipline already underneath her belt and was not <laughs> nearly as strong-willed as I was, but my brother and I had similar personalities. And and your siblings, I would assume, also had a, like embraced the sort of theology of adoption and the the way that your whole family talked about it as well? Was that something they, they saw clearly too? Both of my siblings want to adopt. They want to grow their families through adoption or are huge advocates of it. But it's kind of like the same thing if you grow up putting the cereal first in your bowl and then the milk. It's like that's just how our family – I mean that's just how you grew your families. It was mm. never apparent to us that you wouldn't grow your family through adoption in some way or another. And, and tell us about how you, you understand the, the theology of it. Maybe both, obviously your parents really, really believed it, um, but it's, you've presumably made that theology personal in your own as well. It's funny that people talk a lot about marriage and how it helps you understand God better, but yet adoption is like a required process and marriage is like a bonus. Like we're all adopted by God if we are in his family. I think for me personally, that meant understanding what reality you could have and what reality you get by being adopted. There's a very apparent generational history of what was going on with the mothers of my family. And even, I don't know very much about my birth father, but what even was going on with him as well. That being said, that's not what my reality ended up being. I'm 
not a third generation teen mom. I'm not uh, having another child be placed into the adoption or foster care. So coming out of that is is very different. And and at the same time, though, I take on the same um, generational history of my adoptive family, right? So what is their story is now my story. And it's this kind of interweaving of the two, of all of us together to create one bigger family, which creates tension. So there's a lot of tension in spiritual adoption as much as earthly adoption. But Adoption is humbling because it is a decision made about your life in which you did not make the decision at all. In the same way with spiritual adoption, if you grasp predestination as part of the theology, which I would, it is a part of your life that changes and dictates the entirety and the trajectory in which it will take, and yet you don't have the agency in making it. And so it's super humbling, sometimes frustrating, but it's very aspect of acceptance of of what it means has to come into a play of accepting the tension and the reality of what adoption means and then the gratefulness that you have for how it plays out. What about the sense of belonging? What is that? How does that strike you with adoption and and also spiritually how that connects to our, our faith? Yeah, I'd like to say I'm my parents' favorite kid because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I dig up probably the most of their time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, they have grandchildren, so their kids Clearly. don't matter anymore. <laughs> but um, yeah, there are times that I feel like I don't belong, but my, that's not based off of, I think, my parents' actions or my siblings' actions. I got the opportunity to go to college like my siblings. I got told what majors my parents wouldn't pay for because my <laughs> parents are both engineers and they're like, no, we're not paying for grad school for this. I got pushed in areas I should be pushed. I got encouraged in areas I should be encouraged in. Um, I got failed by my parents. Like my siblings got failed by my parents. There's all the same aspects. I think there are parts where my understanding and things I dealt with was different than my siblings because I was adopted. But at the same time, there are things that they went through that I don't understand that they because of who they are. So it's unique and universal all at the same time, probably. Did you ever feel like you didn't belong? Hmm. Uh, yes. But again, I wouldn't say that's because of my parents' actions. I think there are lies that Satan was really good and crafty at presenting to me. I think saying like genetics are more important than commitment and action and biology is stronger than this, or even just, I think as a kid, life is not fair. And so you can take that and then apply that to adoption. So there's a lot of reassuring that I did as a kid of like, okay, I belong here. Like, this is my family. They love me. Here are the ways that they love me. Just preaching the truth back to myself. And as an adult, you're, you're doing that now spiritually <laughs> and saying like the Lord loves me and he's kind to me and here are the ways that he's still committed. I actually had someone ask me once, do you think that adoptive parents can be connected to their children fully, their adopted children fully? And I asked the question back, do you think adopted children can accept the connectiveness that they have with their adoptive parents? There can be guilt, I think, a lot of times where 
you can feel, I feel like if I connect with my adopted parents too much or am I ever forgetting my biological parents, which my parents never, my mom and streams of talking always talked with respect. If I ever said anything disrespectful about my birth mom was very quick to be like, no, what she did was an act of love. You're going to respect what she did. But you can't have multiple people. You can't serve two masters and thrive. And so there was the tension for me of if I accept this, if I accept this connectedness and this belonging, am I doing something wrong? Am I rejecting somebody? Am I hurting my biological parents in any way? And yet I think I had to do that to be able to belong. Because if I continue to isolate myself, I think that's probably the most tension my mom and I felt. I didn't really care very much about my birth dad, not for any lack of a reason besides the fact that I knew pretty blatantly that he had abandoned me and my birth mom. I knew that was wrong. I knew I was kind of over it. I didn't really need him. But I think when you have someone you know did something so loving, how do you honor them and not disrespect them all in the same breath? It just strikes me as what incredibly complex emotional calculus that is that you're having to learn to make at such an such a young age, right? Like you just you've used this term tension a number of times, and like it it just strikes me that that, that uh, a lot of kids don't ever learn to navigate tensions like that, right? I mean, would you say it's been a really important piece of shaping the way you operate in life? I think tension and confrontation doesn't really scare me. I think some people would tell you that's probably because I'm Lebanese, but I think I would just say <laughs> that's because of the culture. <laughs> Maybe it is because I'm Lebanese. I don't know. But uh, I think just the culture of of a conversation of belonging, but never fully belonging, but then having to push yourself that extra, you know, maybe 20% is I have nieces and nephews. And so common conversation is, well, they look like so-and-so, they look like so-and-so. And both sides are always like, like my brother-in-law side's like, oh, we see the altars. And my, you know, mom's like, oh, I only see like their side Lewis's. And I'm like, they're they look like both of you guys, you know, there's parts where you can see. And so I'll sit in these conversations and I will never be part of it biologically, but I'm still part of it because they're my nieces and nephews. It's a small conversation, but it can feel glaringly obvious. I think when you're in it and you're like, wow, here's the tension. Mm -hmm. And you can't look at that and say this, like, I would never demand my family and be like, don't ever talk about who they look and don't look like. But at the same time, I have to reinforce myself with the truth of like, but I still belong in this conversation. And you ask my sister, she would be like, I don't want you guys to compare them to anyone because they are made in God's image and they are their own people. So it's just everyone has their own viewpoints. Some people want to see that. Some people don't want to see it, you know. And so for me, I think that's like a simple conversation of having to reinforce like, nope, this is my family. I belong here. I belong in this conversation. 
You've told me that you resemble physically your adopted family. So how does that add complexity to this? Yeah, um, not to bring the Enneagram in, but then like I'm an Enneagram four, so I like don't want to be like anyone else either, right? So it's like <laughs> <laughs> complexity on all sides of living in tension and being misunderstood. So <laughs> I am uh, Korean and Lebanese and I look very white for those who don't know me. And so that brings other complexities. And then the complexity is, is that I look like my parents. I worked at the same company as my dad and this guy came up that I didn't know and was like, you have to be Kent Alter's daughter. You look just like him. And I was like, that's ironic because I'm adopted. And it made him feel so uncomfortable. And I don't really know why it made him feel uncomfortable because I just thought it was interesting that you could see the resemblance of my dad. But um, yeah, I think that was what the Lord thought was important was that I look like them. And for me, I think it's harder though, because there are genetical things that are about me that pertain, that are not pertaining to the history. So then in a society where race is very important and it is important, but then it's told to me like, well, you look this way. So you are this way. So I've had to navigate a lot of conversations about adoption and then about like, okay, well, when does race comes into effect? When does it not? When does culture override race? When does your looks dictate what your race actually is? So yeah, lots of probably a whole other topic of discussion, <laughs> but it's, um, it's reassuring. And then I think then you get in conversations where it's like, I have nieces and nephews who are born and I'm like, yeah, they're clearly, they have red hair, so they don't <laughs> look like me. Um, but yeah, so then there's those parts where it's like, but I know. One of the words that comes to my mind listening to you is um, I can just see how sometimes it'd be really tiring and uh, just the effort that you have to expend to, to navigate all those, those different layers. Um, where have you, where do you find rest from that weariness? Well, Jesus was a biracial kid who was adopted, so... Um, where do any of us find rest, I think, is the question. If you look how uniquely Jesus is made, he's made for the mixed kid who looks like their parents who is adopted. And so there's tension. And I think Jesus probably felt the most tension, which then goes into the beauty of God understanding that we needed our own brother to go through the experience of being adopted because he really is God's son, right? So if we're all going to be adopted to God, he gave even in his son's earthly story that same experience so that we could have a mediator who goes before God for us, understanding the depth, the tension, and the pain. So in the midst of navigating all of this personally, you've also got people in your life, friends, classmates, coworkers, people that are just interacting with you. Uh, what are some common things that you've had to uh, deal with from, from people trying to make sense out of, out of you as an adopted person, your ethnic background, all the rest? I think um, one that I can hit on, on a high level is 
oh, I think I'm adopted because I have green eyes and the rest of my family has brown. Or I think I'm adopted because I look different than my family. Adoption is often used culturally, even in thin Christian circles, to highlight why you're different. Or the distance or the sense of not belonging. Whereas for me, it's the whole reason I belong. Um, so you get a lot of questions of like, who are your parents? Uh, it's like Donna and Kent Alter. And they're like, no, you're real parents. And you're like, no, they are my real parents. Or um, It's kind of like, where are you from? No, where yeah, are you from? Yes, which yeah. I also got because I went to Clemson University and then was from Clemson. So people, and so I would always kind of like say like, well, saying it slower is probably not going to change my answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... I think one thing going back to my mom and her talking about being an ambassador for adoption and truth is like truth enables you to have patience, right? Because it's not going anywhere. It doesn't change. It is what it is. And so it's enabled me to be able to answer a lot of bizarre questions. And I want them because I do have the truth. So I can't correct the misconception unless you ask and you vocalize it. Yeah, there's been probably a couple of times people probably said a couple of things or I've gotten kind of angry. But most of the time, I'd rather just have someone ask because you can't you're not going to ask an educated question about something you're not educated on. It's wrong for me to have that expectation. While there are a lot of probably ignorant questions, they're ignorant because you don't know. So I can't hold you to this higher power of knowing in the same way I have a lot of ignorance about a lot of things that. I don't know, like physics and geometry, (laughs) (laughs) basic things like that. And you're helping to educate us even now in this podcast, a lot of us. That's right. Yeah. So I would say if anyone ever has questions, I love talking about it. I think there's a lot of beauty if you are adopted. I love hearing people's stories. I think no two adoptions are the same. And also I want to challenge people to think about their own spiritual adoption and what that means and how you belong because you're adopted, not you're different because you're adopted. You just said you're like an Enneagram for, we have a daughter that is also, I think you all bond uh, (laughs) in a lot of ways. So this said child has lots of fun stories of, of discipline issues. Do you have any that you would like to share with us? Sure. I'll share probably my mom's like least favorite favorite uh and my dad's least favorite favorite but i was two so this tells you how far it goes back but i my mom wanted me to take a nap i didn't want to take a nap she like put me in the crib she comes back a couple hours later after i'm supposed to finish my nap and i had intentionally pooped in my diaper taking it off put my hands in it and wrung poop down every ream of my crib (laughs) to which my mom was not very happy uh (laughs) shocker and I was like I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry my mom was like she's two she's two she's two she's two and so she had my dad talk to me because I think she was still really angry and cleaning and my dad was like don't don't do it again essentially yeah, I had to clean that one at two years old <laughs> myself, I think. So, yeah, I was a very manipulative kind of vindictive child from a very young age. So that's why shepherding a child's heart was probably <laughs> right at like 10 months old. Awesome. Katie, this has been a real privilege to talk to you. And I know it'll be a privilege for others to listen to. So thank you. Amen.
Um, hopefully your two-year-old doesn't do the same to you. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of West Side Stories and our sincerest thanks to Katie Alter for joining us. This episode was produced and directed by me, Corey Fleeman. It was co-produced and hosted by Anne and Walter Henniger. Our editor was Tim Lane. Original music was composed and performed also by Tim Lane. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll share it with friends and family. A positive review on your streaming service of choice would also be appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.